Hello and welcome to Keeping Your Keys. Maybe you're joining for the first time. Maybe you're here with me most weeks exploring Hecate witchcraft, what this all means and how we can connect and heal together on this crooked path. I've got a couple of announcements before we dive into this week's episodes, or I should say before we illuminate this week's episode, because the episode is a conversation that Coyote May, Christian, and I had exploring the history and the meaning of Hecate's torches. I think that's the most iconic symbol of Hecate, that she holds this torch that calls us into magic, healing, and the mysteries. My announcements, I want to say that I've made two offerings available uh, at a low cost. I know it's the holiday season and there's also the new calendar year on the horizon. And many of us feel called to do deeper work, you know, to set intentions about what we want the coming year to manifest as. The Covina Coven membership kindness, I've got, I've set it up. It's over 45% off the regular price. You can find the link to learn more about that in the show notes. And I'm also making available the Keeping Your Keys video library. This is a great resource if you want to, on your own, explore the vast library of recorded classes that I've taught over the years. So that comes with the kindness rate too, that's only $3.99. So these are my Yuletide season, new calendar year offerings to everyone, both for a limited time, explore them. If you have any questions at all, as always, email me at info at keepingyourkeys.com. And may Hecate's torches always guide you. Hello and welcome. Today we are going to be diving into Hecate's torches. We're going to be talking about some of the history, some of the mythology, and what this all means, both like putting it in a historical context and also what it means to us as Hecateans and how we connect to her torches. The history of Hecate's torches is, is so rich and deep and illuminating. So um, are the two of you ready to kind of dive in or light up? We shouldn't say dive in, we're gonna light up today. Okay, so we should light a candle. So we'll invite everyone who's watching along with us if you want to light a candle too. And we will hail and uh, welcome the spirit of Hecate as the torchbearer. So many epithets associated. Let's cleanse the space. That left-handed counterclockwise motion, the destructive power of fire and then the nurturing creative power of fire as we contemplate 
what all what these torches actually mean and why they are so like deeply moving may do you know what i mean like for me when i look at those torches like something happens to me yeah i think um that's true for me too i mean i even think about even as a child when i would see torches like in movies or in you know even cartoons and just how powerful they are and I can't really explain it like you said I can't really put my finger on why that is but it's like there's something so primal but also like so human about it um you know that torch in the darkness that just is really I don't know I'm really drawing a blank on like what to say about right? that because it <laughs> but it does it works on you for sure it it's almost like a symbol of well it's a symbol of light in the darkness obviously you know and it's like you said, it's so like primal, like, you know, the ability of us to control fire, to light our way. And also that when I look at Hecate and I think about that, she carries these torches that light the way. And it's like, so she's also connected to like that primordial fire, like that spark of create. Like for me, there's so much in it, but there's also just that purely like vis visceral, emotional mm -hmm. reaction to the beauty of the torch. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to explore in terms of the torch. Uh, Kristen? You just took the words right out of my mouth. I was just thinking of when I think about fire, I think just primordial source, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and then also like it is this this nourishing thing that is just completely destructive on the flip side <laughs> like um, and it's so powerful and I think that that's something like ingrained in us it's like a primal thing that is hard to put into words right like that we and that humanity like we need fire to survive yeah you know it is like one of the four elements right like spiritually speaking but also you know, in today's world, I think we can be kind of like stepped away from fire a little bit and see more of its destructive aspects. I mean, we've just gone through a summer. Well, I mean, it's just every year now, it's just more and more of these wildfires. And, you know, so it's kind of like we're fed all these images of the destructive power of fire. And, you know, the archetype of the destroyer is certainly part of fire. And, you know, yet also like our electrified world that we live in depends upon that spark, right? Depends upon a, a type of fire. So we're still really as humans, we're just, it just looks differently now. And I think for me, like going into this dis discussion about Hecate as the torchbearer and what it meant to the ancients, like after I kind of have that very almost romantic reaction to Hecate's torches, for me, it's the reminder that in antiquity, like they were practical. Like we don't walk around with torches anymore, but I mean, we do, we call them flashlights or our phones, right? But, but for them, that was a symbol in a goddess's hands. That was something that was part of everyday life. Much like, I don't know, we would stick like a phone with a flashlight on in her hand today but today like it's also we still use candles 
and fire for anything that's important. Like whether it's like when we start one of our gatherings or at weddings or if you want to set the mood or like during the holidays, like what do you always do when you set the table for a special gathering? There's some kind of torch. There's some kind of candle, right? So we still have that thing with like the power of the flame, which I think is so compelling and perhaps like if you're if you're joining us here for this conversation just look around your house to see how many little fires you set on the daily i bet you if you're a witch you probably are always lighting fires in terms of candles or lamps or whatever you're doing even if it's clicking on an led candle like you're still connecting to that imagery of the sacred flame of hecate so we have slides so i think it are we all ready to dive in? Yep. So we always start our conversations with some kind of invocation. So this is from the beginning of the chapter called Lampadios. And we're going to talk more about the epithets of Hecate that go with her torches and fires um, soon. So I'll read this for our invocation. With each step I take, the unbearable heaviness of my false skin, the weight of my scars and the load of my burdens is shed. I leave it on the stairs one by one, piece by piece, stepping downward, dropping what needs to die in my wake. As the darkness approaches, I am enlightened seeing the glimmer of her torches illuminating the journey. So this for me was really inspired by reading about um, ancient ritual cycles, most notably at Eleusis, which we'll be talking about um, later on in a separate conversation and how Hecate, Persephone and Demeter are all associated with torches. It really lands along Eleusis, but I was imagining what it might might have been like, um, you know, to go through that ritual physically, where there was a lot of, and we'll we'll be doing a a future conversation on like shedding false skin and purification and so on. But so this is what I was connecting with was this imagery of stepping into Hecate's cave, and that the torches were lighting up my my journey. And, you know, the, and really basing that on both myth, mythology and history. So that is our invocation for today. So we've got lots of epithets of Hecate that link her to torches and the fire. Here's a few of them. So the dragon serpent, Dracana, um, was also associated with fire, which is interesting. Um and then we have Purabolos, the fiery advisory or the fiery counselor, one of my favorite ones. And we do the uh, Purabolos council, which is uh, a project of creating our own like council of fiery advisors. I talk about it in the book, and we also do that in depth in Covina. Uh, Purapnoa, Pyrrhophoitus. So any epithet that you see that has this peer in it is speaking to fire. And then there's 
um, the Dioforas, Lampadios, Piriforas, and other ones that link her directly to torches. Have y'all wondered why they, like, I think about, I think a lot about these ancient epithets, as you both know. And one of the things that strikes me, particularly with this collection that I put up on this slide, and May, I want to see what you think of this, is that a lot of these epithets are actually masculine. Yeah, that's really interesting to me, too. And, um, you know, being queer myself, I'm always happy to claim a queer deity. <laughs> um, and it is really interesting how she does have a lot. I mean, there are quite a lot of them that end in the OS um, masculine ending. And it makes me just think like, is it something that's very typical of liminal deities in general? I mean, when we think of Hermes as well, mm -hmm. there's some, you know, of that little overlap and he's definitely a between the worlds kind of God as well. Um, and, you know, with Hecate being a goddess, that's always been kind of on the fringes you know she's never really been part of the inner circle of the olympians she's always kind of been on the outside um you know very valued but you know never really one of them and um it's just something that's really interesting to think about um why she would have these masculine epithets right it is because it could have just been how the who a lot of these come from uh, what's known as the Greek magical papyri, and it could have just been the author. This is so the the PGM is a collection of ancient spells and rituals, so it's like a grimoire. So it could have been choices that they made, or it could have been, which I, I agree with what you said. It's that it's something about her liminality or their liminality that Hecate can have aspects that kind of transcend gender so it's like Hermes when we always say that Hermes is like he, they transcend the genders they although we tend to think of Hermes as masculine and mm -hmm. Hecate as feminine but there is a lot going on uh, there's a lot of both in them mm -hmm. yeah I so. would agree with that for sure It just, um, it's interesting to me too, to think about how our understanding of, of these ancient writings evolves, you know, as our lens evolves too, you know, I mean, back when a lot of the books that we read were translated and written based on these ancient writings, I mean, it was like, a lot of them came from like the Victorian era, right? So it was very much like a, this is masculine, this is feminine kind of world and you know we're kind of moving past that a little bit now and so it's interesting to think about and it would be nice if we had that unbroken line of knowledge right but we don't we can only kind of piece it together through how we see things and what the evidence kind of brings up in us but it's it's really interesting to think about because I mean it's not just one or two there are many for her I mean just looking between these two things on the slide right now I mean, almost everyone I'm looking at ends in OS. And it also makes me think about too, how in, um, at least in modern paganism, a lot of people think of fire as masculine. And so does it have an overlap with that too? Is it because it's a fiery epithet that it's got more of a masculine connotation? 
Well, and that's interesting because I was reading there. So there's this book called The Great Mother by the Jungian psychologist, Eric Neumann, which was written in the 50s. If It's a really fascinating book. And one of the passages, I didn't put a slide up for this because I'm, I'm like, maybe this won't come up. But one of his theories was that the torches were um, like phallic. Because when I read that, I was like, oh, you're just projecting there, Dr. Neumann. Like, I mean, I don't know if they're really phallic. Torches were a thing. Every time someone picked up a torch in the ancient world, it was a penis. Like, I, I'm not sure if I entirely agree with that. But then you raise a good point that kind of meshes with what Neumann was saying, right? It's like fire, masculine. So if you are a goddess who has control of fire, like, how like how would we see that today kind of compared to how would they see that then right yeah and I mean and there's a whole nother discussion about like why things have gender that don't really need to have gender but that's you know <laughs> that's more than we need to get into today but yeah it's really interesting to me to think about I mean I I as a human being and as you know in my own world think about gender a lot just in general so yeah, it's a really interesting um, juxtaposition, you know, to have, I mean, in her, in her depiction, she's very feminine. I mean, even, you know, the things that she wears and the things that she usually carries and everything like that. And so, um, you know, it's not like some other deities like the bearded Venus or, you know, where there are like some overlaps, but yeah, these, these names ending in masculine endings really just kind of makes a person think, I think. It does. And I love to think about gender too. Um, and like you said, why is fire masculine? But then we have Hecate and we'll be talking about uh, Demeter and Persephone as well. Like, so they they get fire and was Neumann right that it was somehow them merging with masculine powers? It's interesting. It's all interesting. One of our favorite images from antiquity of Hecate with her torches um, and this dog, which looks like the uh, Scooby-Doo a little bit, always makes me very happy. So we're just, just starting that off just to let everyone know that there are so many ancient images of Hecate with torches. I've just grabbed a few. Um, if you've been a student of mine for a while, you'll see that many of the ancient images I share have torches in them. So we've just grabbed a few. I, I pulled out the big book um, to kind of give us some overall guidance from all of the different sources. So the Oxford Classical Dictionary. And one of the things that we landed on is that we thought we would talk a little bit about Hecate's origin story and then what happened with her and the Titans and the later Olympians. So Hecate's mother was Asteria. So the stars, she was the embodiment of the stars. And Hecate's grandmother was Phoebe, and Phoebe means light. And Phoebe is another fire light epithet of Hecate. So she has this, what strikes me is that there's this lineage in Hecate's like ancestry of being associated with darkness and the light within it. That it's going, you know, so... This is the story, of course, told in Hesiod's Theogony, which is probably the best known Hecate origin story. I know we get asked, like, what's Hecate's origin story? So this is it. This is her origin story, is that she was 
born of Persis and Asteria, uh, which also makes her the first cousin of Apollo and Artemis, which is also interesting because Artemis and Hecate are often like syncretized and merged in many of the ancient sources. And certainly when we talk about torches, there are many kind of overlaps with Artemis and torches and Hecate and torches. Something else we wanted to talk about was this business with uh, what happened between the Titans. So the Titans were these older gods that used to run the show. Um, and then things happened. Zeus was an upstart. And uh, Zeus decided there was going to be a new world order. And there was a big fight between the these new gods who were the Olympians and the old ones who were the Titans. It's called the Titanomachy. And Kristen actually found this one. This is from the temple at Legina. Yeah. Okay. So we really like this image because you can see everybody else is just like stabbing each other and carrying on. <laughs> and Hecate is just standing here with her torches. Um, so this is something that always like, this strikes me. It's like, because people hear the story of the Titanomachy and it's like, well, Hecate betrayed her family of origin. And that can, like, psychologically can bring up things for us, right? Around betrayal and so on. But then it's like, she's not actually fighting the Titans in this depiction. Like, she's just not on their side. I don't know. I'm definitely a, a rebellious daughter. And, you know, like, so there's this aspect, even though she was, she had this lineage, she broke from the lineage and sided with the new kids in town. So there's this rebelliousness in this story. I don't know, Kristen, what else do you think when you look at this? No, I don't, I just think about, I, I just see her as it, th this is kind of a very liminal image to me, like, and she is kind of between one and the other, and she's just standing there in the middle, just like so gracefully, you know, look at this clock, like blowing in the wind, and she's just holding her torch, and um, yeah, I don't, yeah. And it's like the transition, like where she is so liminal, and historically, you know, where she was seen like as this super liminal spirit that govern like roads and thresholds, the entrance to the underworld, like all of these things. It's like, so she's standing here. So she's broken up with her family of origin and she's involved in like this ushering in of the new order, but she's the liminal, like she's that liminal space almost between mm -hmm. the two. Um, what else do we want to say about her origin story? I so, just wanted to say too about that one, it, what came to mind for me looking at that too, and just what we were talking about is how, you know, there's always that person in the family who calls out the crap, right? The one who is like, this is dysfunctional and this is, you know, not right. And, you know, shedding light on those family secrets and then you're ostracized for it by your family of origin, right? And so I almost feel like Hecate could be a spirit of that as well definitely it's like this family was dysfunctional the titans they were not they could have used some therapy not that the olympians were any better but but you're right that's a really good note um 
her in her origin story in the theogony where all this is told she doesn't have those kind of what we might call malefic or frightening aspects that she picks up later on in um attic greece and certainly into the roman area era and she's really connected she starts to be connected after hesiod with enodia who is a, a thessalian goddess and Anodia, of course, was very much associated with torches since Anodia governed roadways and that's how you got places when it was dark, right? Was with torches and lamps and so on. So so here's another really earlier um, Hecate Anodia or Hecate Artemis Anodia with the torch and the horse in the background and the dog. And this is one, this is a story I would really like to explore more in the future in, in a, like a conversation. This business about Artemis, so this is a different story from the catalog of women where, Hesse, where Hecate actually starts um, as if a if a Medea, um, who was a mortal woman, and Artemis makes her into a goddess. Yeah, it's a lesser known version of Hecate's origin story, but I thought I would put that out there just to be like, this is interesting. We should probably talk about this more in the future. So those are two versions of Hecate's origin stories. And I wanted to bring in... Um, so this is a image of a sacrifice being made to Hecate with her torches um, in Delos on the Greek island of Delos, where Artemis was also worshipped, also a temple of Isis there. So Hecate has her torches. They are associated with what is Chthonic, which is typically translated to mean like she's an underworld goddess. But there is a lot more to how they perceived Chthonic than how we do today. You know, like how we, well, an underworld goddess would never kind of be up among the people. But Hecate has a role like a Anodia and so on that is very much up among the people. And then also her trimorphous, her, her three-formed aspect, which is really like associated with her governance over the liminal and thresholds. So there's so much rich history, but it all kind of maps onto these different roles of her as Nodia, Chthonia. Um, here's another votive that shows Hecate being propitiated and she's with her torches. And then her role is Propylaea. And that she, so this is something that Maybe we can circle around for a few minutes. I really like the passage in the Oxford Classical Dictionary where it says basically worship of Hecate was anything but normal. And how different she was from how the other deities were uh, venerated and propitiated like in the ancient Mediterranean. And for me, it's this business that she was like, she had governance over thresholds. So there were these little shrines, Hecateons, that were placed both outside of homes or at the entrance to homes, 
but also around the city. So she was a like so her worship would have been public in that there were these things like around the city at the entrance to temple at important thresholds in the cities and boundaries, ramparts and so on. And then also at individual houses. So she was both like this personal household spirit and also had this role like in like civil life. But it was never like she was not the one who the temple was dedicated to for the most part. There is, of course, like um, there are different there are instances where there were temples dedicated to her, most notably the Temple of Hecate at Lagina in modern day Turkey. But in general, in most of the this kind of Hellenistic era world, Hecate is like part of these larger temples to Apollo, to Artemis and to Demeter, like to so on. But she's never it's never her temple, but she always plays this really important part. And that's really distinct, right? Especially, so her role um, as the one who sees over thresholds with those torches of hers is, uh, there's different words for it, but propylaea is one. And uh, there's a chapter, so the preceding two chapters in entering Hecate's cave, the one that comes before this one, which is in the patios, is, Cthon is Cthonia, and before that is propylaea, and before that is Enodia. So the order of the chapters in the book, I'm taking us on a journey kind of deeper into Hecate's epithets and meaning. So I don't know, it's just really interesting. And sometimes I think about like, what if we have a spirit like that in our modern life? Like, do we have a spirit like that, that governs the liminal in that way? I can't really think of one. Can either of you think of one? No, but do you know what this makes me think about though and and I often think of Hecate when I see this like when I'm driving around subdivisions or something and then I see like um like an entrance gate to someone's driveway or to someone's home and there are like two torches on either side and it's like what is the purpose of this this is like this is here but also it's like guiding you where you need to go and I don't there's something to that for me like that just really thrums for me yeah, I think about that too, but like how we light up our houses outside at night. Yeah. Like I, you know, we have a bunch of solar lights here, so they all come on at night. And it's like, mm -hmm. what even is the purpose of that? Like, unless we're actually going out and coming back home. Mm -hmm. I don't know. May, what are your thoughts on all this guardian of thresholds business? Yeah, it's one of those things where like going back to the torches, and I was thinking about this earlier, is like I live in a suburb near a pretty decent sized city um but it also it doesn't take long for me to get out somewhere where the darkness is very evident and it's something that you kind of take for granted like when you're in the suburb and even if you're in a place that doesn't have lights right there like there's so much light in the atmosphere right from the city nearby or other houses or this and that that it's like even when it's dark it doesn't feel really dark until you go somewhere that's really dark and then the lights become so important, right? I mean, when I moved um, in the late 90s, I lived in Seattle and then I moved back um, to the Portland area, but I lived in a rural area that didn't have a lot of lights like when I first moved back and it was such a shock to me. You know, like not only could I see the stars more than I ever had, you know, in years, but it was like just the act of like, I need to go out to my car 
and then like stumbling around in the dark because I was used to having lights around all the time and I would forget like oh I should go probably grab a flashlight or I should you know and so um I think too it's just like fire is kind of a guardian right like and to have Hecate with her torches not only is she like marking an entrance and saying like this is where you come like this is the little you know like the reflective tape right or the you know whatever it is that you can find your way in the dark with right when you're on an airplane and they're like follow the lights along you know the aisle to find your way to the exits and so her torches kind of like Kristen said it was like here these are this is the way to come you know, the torches are here and it marks those entrances and exits and those those transition spaces. But it's also like there's a little bit of that protection element as well. Like we're welcoming you, but we can also turn dangerous if we need to. You're <laughs> right. 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 That's, that's so true. Like you, because when you think of, I don't know, like ancient battles, you know, like lighting weapons from torches and like flaming torches and so on, you know, that go through catapults I don't know very much about this history so but but you know what I mean like so there's that creation destruction aspect in the torch always which would have been really present that knowledge in the ancient world like you've got to be careful with this fire even like we've been talking a lot about being careful with um, wicked candles and how fires can result so they're so beautiful and magical and yet they're so dangerous at the same time and I think that's really gets to the heart of like who Hecate was to the ancients. So this is just some more business about her as the Triformis. I wanted to bring this in because often, unfortunately, in this photo, it doesn't have the uh, the torches aren't here. But I think this is just a really beautiful one. And so, you know, this image, Hecate triformis, three form, typically those hands, uh, one set of the hands are going to be holding these torches. And also I'm really into this epithet of um, epipergidia, epipergidia, like because it has peer in it, which means fire, it means like she's on the fiery ramparts, which really links to what you were just saying. Like, you know, yes, she's, she's on the threshold, but there's this fiery aspect to what she's doing at thresholds. And I think we also need to mention a little bit about like her association with witchcraft and magic and getting into this. So I popped this up uh, from a spell to Medea. And of course, like whether it's Medea or Samathia or Circe or another of these um, ancient witches, when they like that were written about in plays and so on, that often like Hecate was seen as like adding to the power of whatever the witches were doing in the spells. And she would make these appearances, you know, like where there's three heads and her torches and so on. And like having evoked Hecate's presence made their witches spells more powerful and that I think the torches are also connected to that right because fire is magic is that, I don't know does that resonate with you Kristen yeah that makes perfect sense the whole time you were saying that I was just thinking fire is power yeah um right yeah 
So here's another picture of Hecate with her torches, a, tri a triformis, but also with nymphs, with graces, and more on nymphs and Hecate later. And then I wanted to kind of just quickly talk about this image, which I think would be like from the late medieval, medieval period. And I want to do more of an investigation into this because Hecate doesn't have anything in her hands at this point. So Artemis, who is now, so we're looking at the Latin or Roman versions of them being deployed. So we have Diana, Artemis, and we have Hecate here with her three animal heads. So this is something that is trying to poke fun, almost in a sense, at these figures. Um, and, you know, like while emphasizing Christianity, and I think that, I don't know, it's just, it fascinates me that Hecate's hands are empty in this image. Hecate's hands were rarely empty in any of the imagery that I've seen from antiquity. I don't know. I think about this, I think about this wood carving a lot. It's from a book um, by an Italian in published, I want to say, in the 1500s. And I threw up this one I did about Hecate's timeline for a couple of reasons. One is that the moon is the ultimate torch in the night, right? And I think there's a lot to be said, like she has torches, she's also a lunar goddess. And, you know, to say that she's just an underworld goddess, but there's also that it means more than that because it's connected to the moon. It's not like she's staying in the underworld and, you know, like there's no light down there. It's all of this business with her being associated with the night, with, being at the entrance to the underworld and the moon and these torches. And also how I wanted to just mention like how the era that we're living in colors our interpretation of everything. And Hecate's more nefarious aspects we didn't really touch on because they didn't come in to like later in Greek and Roman times. And then we're really amplified like in images like this, and then, then in uh, an earlier play than Shakespeare's Macbeth, which is called The the Witch. And they were mining, Shakespeare and this other fella were mining late Roman texts to get their ideas about Greek mythology and Hecate specifically. So there's, there's this thing where history and the era that we live in influences our lens for understanding all of this and I think that's really important when like we look at ancient sources it's like to say okay but I am who I am today and that is going to play a role in how I understand this like certainly in my work and in my own mind the emphasis on what are the psychological aspects of this like what does this mean rather than just a descriptive thing. So that's really like, that's my kind of lead into this. And May, you said something earlier about how norms around gender change um, with history as well. So it's just something to consider when you're, when you're learning about ancient history and Hecate specifically um, in that how she went from being really in the early times in her origin story with Hesiod's Theogony 
benevolent goddess to you know really seeing even i'm thinking now may about aliaster crowley's uh, ode to hecate and i was literally just thinking about that were too, you? Yeah. okay you want yeah. to riff, riff about that for a little yeah, bit yeah i wish i knew it a little bit better but yeah i was just actually kind of thinking about how um i think both in that time and in our current time there's so much emphasis on her darker aspects because we kind of needed an antidote to you know, that feminine, I mean, in in Crowley's time, I feel like there was that antidote to like the, the Victorian idea of like the woman as being like the source, like this never ending font of like love and tenderness and, you know, all things domestic and tranquil. It's so funny because like I'm a huge fan of um, Sherlock Holmes, right? And so I listen to Sherlock Holmes probably every night on the audiobook before I go to bed and it's just always so funny to listen to Watson talk about women in this you know and it's always like her tender noble sensibilities you know and so I think about Crowley and how he depicted Hecate and it was almost like the anti the antithesis to like the Victorian woman right like they needed that foil or they needed that that power Right, because it had been sublimated. And I almost feel like our current thing about Hecate being like the dark witchcraft and, and it's been kind of an antidote to like, we've had like years of like the new age toxic positivity, love and light. And like, here comes, you know, we we look at Hecate, we're looking, we're searching, you know, people in general are searching for this like antidote, like I need this darkness. And so they find, you know, Hecate who has all of these beautiful light qualities and even nurturing qualities and then we're like nope it's the dark ones that's what we want so it's really interesting to think about it is like a source of empowerment or almost like a source of like cosmic i'll say it sound a little new agey here but a source of cosmic balance that when you know anything any archetype any spirit goes too far in one direction like when the zeitgeist of a society is like you said it's too like uh you know the like the beatific Virgin Mary on the church wall or, um, you know, like the 1950s mom, whatever it is. And, and then someone really comes in with this dark or sinister version. It's like to correct that. I mean, I think that's something that like is valid. And I think in our own personal journeys, like sometimes when we're just, we're first drawn to Hecate, it's because she is powerful and dark and frightening and associated with like things that are very taboo i think it's because we need to like break those break through those things in our own lives so it's it's very it's so interesting this business of hecate and torches and we must finish by talking about hecate suppers because torches were involved in this as well going to the crossroads with a torch and then the little household shrines that would have had lamps or torches. And so the Hecate suppers took place on the new moon. And Kristen and I have recorded a bunch of content on that. So you make sure you check that out. So we won't get into that. But we wanted to wrap up by talking about these torch cakes, which are so fascinating. Right. Um, and they are in the classical dictionary uh, and other ancient other sources as well. So Kristen, since you are our head executive chef, would you care to talk to us about this business? So 
you know, this is something I'm recently just really, really fascinated with. Um, I know that these were like cheesecakes. They were made as offering to um, Hecate and also Artemis, um, but specifically like Hecate on the, as part of the Dipnon. And uh, apparently this is like the most ancient origin of the birthday cake. And all we know is that they were, they were called Ampifantes. They were just little cheesecakes that were adorned with candles. Um, and that, you know, I read somewhere that the candles were representative of like holy fire or of like, you know, the stars and the moon. And I don't, there's just so much there. So fascinating. There is so much there. And I feel like we're just getting started with so much of the research that we do. Yeah. And this idea of like these little mini torches, because another thing that we've been trying to suss out is did the Greeks actually have like dipped candles? Like right. when we think of it, like how we think of dipped candles today. Um, and so we've been looking at that research and it's it's anything but clear. Um well, apparently they did, though. I mean, because how else would they stick them in a cake, right? And I imagine, like, could they have been, like, dipped in tallow or I don't know. Or, like, was it just parchment dipped? I don't know. So we're really yeah. fascinated by this aspect of the ancient Hecate suppers. And the classical dictionary actually says, and we need to follow this thread, it says that these cakes were offered on the full moon. And I haven't had mm -hmm. a chance to look to see if, like, oh. So is that just some translator's misinterpretation and it really was the Dipnon? Like there's some confusing, there's some contradicting sources about yeah. when the cakes were offered. So I do want to say, Cindy, there is something else there to bring it back to where we opened about, um, you know, um, honoring the sacred fire. You know, we were you were talking about like lighting candles during, you know, special occasions and stuff like that. And this, I think this is very much that, right? Right. Yeah. So our biggest celebration of the year, we put candles on cakes mm -hmm. and blow them out, which is interesting. The whole thing is interesting. Um, <laughs> so if you want to do a simple ritual, get yourself some cheesecake. I think these are lemon. You've got the recipe yeah. coming up, right? Yeah. Yeah, these are uh, lemon poppy seed cupcakes with cheap uh, cream cheese frosting. So like the cheese, the cheese is there. The cheese is there. Gotta have the cheese. And then uh, just linking back to Hecate's cave as we kind of wrap up this conversation. You know, one of the things I really love to do and love to recommend is just to sit in the dark, like, you know, not you can, we do so many elaborate rituals and they're all beautiful and we have these gorgeous altars. But if you just like take your candle and sit in the dark and like connect to that as a source of this divine eminence. And it was like what you were saying earlier, May, about when you moved outside of where there's kind of that um, light pollution and you saw how dark it really was and how much you really need a light. And I think that's a way for us to connect to like what these torches mean to us personally. It's mm -hmm. that to see Hecate as that light in the darkness, guiding us into the cave, into her mysteries, you know, guiding us forward, um, protecting the home, protecting, you know, different boundaries. 
in our lives. I just think it's so beautiful, this whole business of Hecate and torches and Hecate and the sacred fire. So in here, of course, to conclude is one of my favorite images of her with those torches. I believe this one, I know it's uh, from Turkey and I'm not, but I don't know if it was from the temple at Lagina. So thanks so much for hanging out with us while we lit up uh, Hecate's torches and what that all means to us. Um, we're doing this as part of a series all this autumn of 2023, going into Hecate's epithet. So the first one I did solo um, on Chthonia, and now this is Lampadios, and then we'll be back to do Babora Forba. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to like it, follow it, give it a rating if you're so inclined. If you feel drawn to go deeper into the experience of Hecate and modern witchcraft, you can purchase my books, uh, join Covina, which is the online coven of Hecate. Check out the website. There's lots there. And hail Hecate.